liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe basically made my affinity for one alex jones well known uh, i think that anytime you are on the fringes and you're trying to tell the truth about stuff you're not allowed to talk about you're going to get some things wrong so i have far more leniency for errors in judgment than it appears most people do so i'm getting all of my biases on the table the reason I bring that up is because I wanted to cover a piece that I was informed was written last week by the former Mises Caucus endorsed presidential nominee, or they attempted to get him nominated. He didn't end up winning. Uh, Jacob Hornberger. He's an attorney. He's a longtime libertarian. Ran for president on the libertarian ticket in both 2020 and 2000. So guys, bona fides are there. However, he wrote an article on, oh, he's also the founder of the Future of Freedom Foundation. So with a name like that, you got to assume the guy's the real deal, hardcore libertarian. What bewilders me is that he wrote a piece, which I'm going to read fresh because I wanted to get my authentic reaction to it in real time, uh, where he basically says that Alex Jones got what he deserved in being sued and having a judgment of north of a billion dollars for speech <laughs> levied against him. So let's dive in and see what Mr. Hornberger has to say. Oh God, I'm already nervous. Alex Jones got what he deserved. October 17th. So this was actually just yesterday. Oh dear God, I'm very nervous. Whatever one might think about Alex Jones, it's difficult for me to understand how anyone can question the rightfulness of the multi-million damage awards that juries in Connecticut and Texas recently assessed against him. In my opinion, Jones got exactly what he deserved. Well, let's pause there. Uh, you can't think. It's difficult for you to understand how anyone can question the rightfulness <laughs> of a billion-dollar judgment for a speech. It's difficult to understand. That's... I feel like you're feigning ignorance to the counter argument here because you're a smart guy. There's no way you can't understand why we would have instant knee jerk concerns about a billion dollar judgment for speech. You do run the future of freedom foundation. A billion dollar price tag on speech doesn't exactly scream freedom. Does it? Okay. Just making sure continuing on. For limited government libertarians, a proper role of government is to provide a judicial forum in which people can resolve their legal disputes. Sure. If someone commits a wrong, a tort in legal language, against another person, the latter has the right to file suit against the former for damages. We see this all the time. For example, in automobile crashes, where one person's negligence has caused the accident, the victim has the right to sue the driver whose negligence caused the crash and recover damages. Yeah, well, you actually are liable because you've caused them physical injury. It's a little different here, is it not? All right. I don't know why that's being used as a comparison. Let's see what he says. If a tort is intentional, such as murder or rape, the victim has the right to sue for both compensatory damages and punitive damages. <clears throat> the, comp the compensatory damages represent actual damages suffered by the victim. 
such as medical expenses, loss of income, and pain and suffering. The punitive damages represent an intent to punish the mal malefactor by inflicting additional damages on him. In Jones' case, people filed suit against him for slander, as well as intentional infliction of emotional distress, which has long been recognized by many jurisdictions as a tort. They also filed suit under Connecticut's Unfair Trade Practices Act. The legal question that still will need to be resolved is whether punitive damages are recoverable by the Connecticut plaintiffs, given that Connecticut libel and slander law permits punitive damages only with respect to the recovery of attorney's fees, but does not uh, but does permit punitive damages in cases involving unfair trade practices. I don't understand how it would be an unfair trade practice. Maybe he explains that later. I have no idea. The lawsuits against Jones arose out of statements by Jones suggesting that the parents of the victims of the Sandy Hook massacre had made up their story and were just acting out the part of being victims who had lost their children. Okay. It's hard to get more slanderous than that. Well, yeah, I guess. But don't you have to know it's a lie? Did anyone ever prove, because I never saw any evidence that Jones was lying to bolster his show in some regard. Like I, It was my understanding that in order to slander someone, it has to be known to be false. Right? No? Okay. I don't know. Maybe not. Jones's statement were clearly false and defamatory. Well, yes, they were clearly false in hindsight, but were they clearly false to Jones at the time? Because he said... The day of, if I recall, was when he first questioned the narrative on that topic. So, in real time, can you say that they were clearly false? I don't think that you can. And defamatory, I'm going to have to look it up because I think it requires intent to defame. Moreover, they subjected the plaintiffs to all sorts of attacks by people who believed that Jones was telling the truth. See, I... I don't know how you connect these dots here, where they subjected the plaintiffs to all sorts of attacks by people who believed that Jones was telling the truth. Well, one, what if Jones believed he was telling the truth? And two, are we held responsible for the actions of everyone who listens to us? Because as a public figure like Mr. Hornberger or a podcaster like myself, that's a precedent that's extraordinarily concerning. Because I've done episodes, for instance, talking about how evil I think Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, is. If one of my audience members was to go out and commit a crime after listening to my show, even though I didn't instruct them to, I was just talking about what I think of his behavior as a business person and as a fascistic apparatus. <laughs> um, so I don't think that I should be held responsible for that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand why this is like, this seems like an obvious... Slippery slope, not even slippery slope, but like we're on the slope and it's very slippery. All right. Jones claimed that his words were protected by the First Amendment, but it has long been established in the law that free speech does not include the right to issue false and defamatory statements about others. Yes, I know that there are some libertarians who don't believe in libel and slander laws. I guess maybe I'm one of them. I don't know. They say that no one has the right to a good reputation, that people have the unfettered right to issue false and defamatory statements against anyone. I think those libertarians are wrong, but the fact is that the law doesn't support their position. Libel and slander have long been considered torts under America's ju uh, system of jurisprudence, and Jones had to have known that. Okay, Jones hired attorneys to represent him in both the Connecticut and Texas lawsuits, yet in the liability stage of the cases, the judges entered a default judgment against Jones. 
That means that the plaintiffs automatically won that critically important stage of the case. In other words, the plaintiffs were relieved of any obligation to, pro to prove that Jones had, in fact, slandered them. Yeah, that bothers me. Uh, with the issuance of a default judgment, all that was left was for the juries to assess the amount of damages. Right. So instead of actually being able to defend himself, it was just a matter of defending himself against the quantity of the judgment. Like it was already a given that he was going to lose some sum of money. It just ended up being an astronomical figure. Some people might think that it was unfair or unjust for the judges to issue those default judgments against Jones. After all, a default judgment is when a person totally fails to answer a lawsuit against him. Here, Jones did answer both lawsuits through his attorneys. So why did the judge issue, or why did the judges, because it was multiple times, issue default judgments against him? In civil cases, both sides have the right to take the oral deposition of the other side. They also have the right to secure relative, uh, relevant documents and records from the other side. This process is called pretrial discovery. Duh. Jones, however, decided that he wasn't going to cooperate with the rules of pretrial discovery in civil cases. Not only did he refuse to appear for his deposition at the appointed time, he refused to produce requested documents and records. See, not so sure that's true. At least in his defense, uh, or I don't know if it was technically a defense since he already had the judgment uh, or they were just defending himself against the amount of the judgment. He was arguing that he had in fact turned over all of his records. So I don't know that's in contention, but continuing on. And it's not like the judges immediately issued default judgments against Jones. That's not the way things work in a civil suit, especially because the default judgment is such an extreme remedy. Instead, the judge will first order the party to produce the documents and records. When the party then refuses to comply with the judge's order, the judge will then consider extreme remedies such as contempt or the entry of a default judgment. To avoid the imposition of such extreme remedies, all that the party has to do is comply with the court order and produce the documents and records. According to an article at First Amendment Watch, on Monday, November 15th, the Superior Court judge in Connecticut ruled that conspiracy theorist Alex Jones was live. <laughs> I love that they include that. Uh, was liable by default in a defamation lawsuit brought by the parents of a Sandy Hook elementary uh, shooting victim. Judge Barbara Bellis issued the default judgment after years of Jones' refusal to turn over financial and web analytics data that had been ordered by the court. Hmm. I wonder if that was part of his legal strategy and he just got terrible advice from his attorneys. I I'm not really sure. In her ruling, Bellis criticized Jones' attorney for providing only sanitized, inaccurate financial records and showed callous disregard for her repeated rulings to provide complete analytics data. Okay, so in other words, they claimed that they did submit what was asked of them, but she felt that they had not cooperated adequately. So I don't know if Jacob's intentionally misleading there, but to make it sound as if he had just completely ignored their requests or their demands for documentation, that doesn't sound accurate based off of what I just read there. She found Jones' attorney's actions were not just careful, but constituted a pattern of obstructive conduct, requiring the most severe sanctions of default, what she called a last resort, as reported by the Hartford Courant. That's interesting, because that means that it was his attorneys that did this. So seems as if maybe Alex has a case against his attorneys for malpractice. I don't know. Uh, by not providing the pertinent documents and records and by refusing to comply with the orders of the court, Jones has no one to blame but himself for the default judgments rendered against him. Against him. This is Jacob typing that. Uh, how, can you, how can you say that after what you just cited? Like, it sounds as if his attorneys did that. I mean, you can't know based off of what you just read there, whether it was Jones who turned over faulty or, you know, 
half-ass information or if it was the attorneys that were doing so as part of their defense strategy. I don't know which. So to say that he has no one to blame but himself seems like a stretch. And in fact, it seems like a biased stretch as if you want to just assume his guilt, to be honest. Then came the damages part of the trial. Jones is an attorney and his attorneys exercised their right to participate in that phase of both cases. The Texas jury re returned a verdict of 4.1 million, which Jones, Jones considered to be a victory. The Connecticut jury returned a verdict of 965 million, which Jones considered to be a loss. You think? Once the court enters formal judgment based on the jury verdicts, Jones has the right to appeal, but he cannot stay the enforcement of the judgment unless he posts a bond. He might be able to do that in Texas case, but there is no way he will be able to do that in the Connecticut case owing to the enormous size of the jury's verdict. That means that the plaintiff will be able to enforce collection of the judgment even while Jones is appealing. Jones' company, Free Speech Systems, which was also sued, has already filed for bankruptcy. My bet, my bet is that Jones ends up doing the same, which will automatically move the judicial claims over to a federal bankruptcy court. It will also almost certainly mean that Jones will end up broke. Ordinarily, bankruptcy wipes out a person's debts. The big problem Jones might still face, however, is that if the bankruptcy court finds that his torts were intentional, it's likely that bankruptcy will not, not wipe out the judgments, which means, this is me saying this, uh, that the judgments will chase him forever. Well, that's bizarre. So that's all there is to this article. So you provide literally no evidence of what Jones' wrongdoing was. I think that like, if you're going to make the case that his behavior was so egregious, you should start by citing the things that he is accused of saying that were false and defamatory, right? That would be my starting place to at least, if I was going to even argue that it was defamatory, I would want to show my audience what was defamatory. By the way, Mr. Hornberger, you are more than welcome to come on the show and we can hash this out in real time. But what I really want to talk about now that I know how scant the information was in this article is just about the precedent this sets and why it's so concerning. So this week, Kanye West, or Ye, went on a podcast and uh, I forget the name of it, but in it, he questioned the nature by which George Floyd died, arguing that it was not the cop's treatment, but rather uh, the drugs that he was on, which according to the coroner's report is closer to what they found too. But setting that aside, I'm not going to litigate that case. I'm not, I have no interest in doing so, to be honest. However, I think it's important to realize that because of that podcast, which, by the way, Alex Jones' judgment was based off of a podcast because obviously InfoWars is converted through an RSS uh, into a podcast. So two examples of podcasts, opinions on podcasts being turned into lawsuits. And the reason I bring up the yay outburst against uh, George Floyd is because his daughter, which Kanye West had donated millions of dollars to a, uh, I believe it was a college scholarship for her. I I could have this wrong, but I, that's what I read. The, uh, that's what I read today, that he had given her multi million dollars for college, and she turned around and sued him for two hundred and fifty million dollars for. I, I don't know if you could defame someone who's no longer alive. I guess it would be. Uh, I don't know if it's defamation, uh, tarnishing the legacy of. I don't. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's against the family's name, their their good name or something. I I really don't know. But, anyways, connect these dots here. 
it's real real obvious, right? We are now dealing with mega, mega figures that are being used to crush people who say things that can be, I guess, construed as defamatory. And I mean, I can understand in the Alex Jones case why that would be considered defamatory. I still am not sure that his intent was there because I think he was sincere, to be honest. But regardless, I think he was wrong. I don't think that the kids were acting or anything like that. I think the kids existed. I do think that they were murdered. So I, I think that he was wrong. But I'm not so sure that it was intentional. So I think that's an interesting point to to kind of parse here is are we now to a point where if you are just you're like you're a commentator you're a political commentator you're a conspiracy theorist professionally like alex jones um are you no longer allowed to say anything that ends up being wrong because if my intention is tell is to tell the truth but i end up being wrong well then i won't feel very safe to say anything in fact i don't feel very safe saying anything right now in fact, I'm being much more cautious about how I'm discussing both of these cases because I don't know. I don't know where the line is. Like, I'm not in any way trying to mislead my audience or trying to get them to go out and commit violence or trying to deceive them in some form or fashion. 100% of the time, I am trying to tell you the truth. So if I get something wrong, like say I were to argue which I did just on last week's episode, which by the way, over 10,000 people have already watched or, or listened to. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was the, the truth about the Ukraine lead up to the Ukraine war. Um, but say I got something wrong in there. I certainly could have. Is that now like, am I, am I opening myself to almost unlimited liability? Like what if Vladimir Zelensky <laughs> were, were to file suit against me for saying something in that that he found to be defamatory. And now we have these propagandized lemmings that get to decide on what judgment I have to pay. I'm just asking, like, where is the line here? I'm not saying that's likely. It's obviously unlikely. I'm just saying I've had episodes dedicated to Anthony Fauci, Larry Fink, Biden, Trump even. I've talked about a lot of, a lot of political figures. I know that it's much harder to get any sort of judgment when you're a, a public figure, but I'm, I'm sure there's been times when I've talked about people that aren't public figures. Could they then turn around and sue me for this enormous sums? It's the precedent is very, very concerning. And I don't understand how someone who writes for the future of freedom foundation, in, in fact, founded it can't see the libertarian argument for why this is very concerning. It is going to create a chilling effect on speech, one which already exists, one which will be exacerbated terribly because of these types of judgments. And I want to also kind of add in here that the podcast community and the podcast world has kind of been the last bastion of what I believe borders on true free speech, where we were, we were actually just, you know, off the cuff, top of the head, what's your gut instinct after reading this, this news story? What do you think? Do you think it went down exactly how it's being reported? I mean, 99% of the time, news stories end up 
the early reporting ends up being far different from what kind of the consensus judgment is of the story a week or a month or sometimes years later. Are we no longer allowed to do that? Because if I get something wrong in my initial assessment, I should be sued for tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. You can't understand why that's highly concerning. Okay. Well, let me add to, to the argument as to why it's concerning. You have hard evidence that the CDC was dictating what type of censorship protocols, parameters that they were going to put on their sites, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. This is testimony, congressional testimony. We know this for a fact. So you have hard evidence that the CDC, uh, a branch of the federal government or, you know, a subsidiary therein, they were telling basically, I mean, not telling directly, but they were saying, Hey, why hasn't this guy been banned yet? Like it's an open-ended question. Oh yeah. But by the way, we also are the federal government and, uh, we regulate you. So when we ask this question, the answer that we expect to get back is we'll get right on that, which is what happened. So that's concerning. That has a chilling effect. Does it not? That as a, a dissident of any variety, you don't even have to be a political dissident, but just like a narrative dissident. Cause I'm talking more COVID era, which I guess it became political, but it didn't necessarily have to be, but just to be outside of the corporate mainstream narrative as to what the appropriate and allowable, what's the, what's the Overton window of allowable discussion when it comes to the origin of the virus, the treatment, the precautions, the, the, uh, the protocols, the lockdowns, the mandates, all of that, every step of the way, there was an Overton window that basically dictated and it was constantly evolving and you never really knew. I don't know if people remember this. I'm sure most of you do that have lost your Twitter accounts already, that this was an ever evolving window. And sometimes you could say it and you'd be like, oh, this is going to get me suspended for sure. And then you weren't. And you're like, hmm, <laughs> interesting. A month ago, I know that I saw people get banned for saying something similar. So I don't know. So it's these ever evolving rules. But what, what that creates is a, a, a chilling effect, a very, a very cautious outlook that anyone that has put any time into growing their platform will obviously take on because they don't want to lose it. So you have a chilling effect that comes via censorship, which is being dictated from private businesses, which actually is being dictated by the federal government, which ultimately is a first amendment violation clear as day. As far as I'm concerned, I hope libertarian Jacob Hornberger attorney at law would agree with me on that. So very huge impact on free speech in that regard. Now you have hundreds of millions of dollars in potential judgments that can be levied against you if you say something that is false or defamatory uh, or false and defamatory, I guess, in this situation. Do you want to live in a world like that? Genuinely asking. Like, is, is, your, is your opinion that it would be better to be able to levy astronomical judgments against people if they were to say something about you that's false? Or would you be would you prefer to be able to speak your mind 
and sometimes get things wrong. And I don't know. I, I, I lean towards the latter. Like I, I would rather just defend my own reputation. I would rather not go down the path of like, oh, someone said something about me that's false. I'm going to sue them. Now I get this judgment that I'm never going to collect. And then, oh, I said something that was accidentally false or false intentionally, whatever. And they sue me. I now have a $10 million judgment against me. I file bankruptcy, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you don't see how unsustainable that is? How much that will basically get rid of the concept of free speech? Like, it, sure, you're free to talk, but you could also be bankrupted <laughs> because you said something wrong. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I mean, I'm kind of thinking this up on the fly here. So like, I'm not, I'm not saying that I have a totally rock solid opinion on this, but my instant reaction is I definitely lean towards letting people tell lies, letting them get things wrong. I think it, it gets dangerously close to the same assessment that the social media platforms use when it came to suppressing misinformation. Because the reality is we don't know what the truth is early on with anything, like ever. I mean, any big thing for sure. So I think it's really important for civilization, not to make it too grandiose, but I think it's very important for civilization to be able to speak freely and to kind of bounce ideas off one another. Especially with like big earth-moving civilization changing type news items ukraine and russia war for instance covid for instance lockdowns for instance vaccine mandates for instance like all of these things they used essentially jacob's reasoning here to some extent there are a few major items in life that you should be putting a lot of deep deep thought into deciding on whether it's buying a house, deciding who your spouse or significant other might be, whether or not you want to have kids, the career that you might pursue. But the one major thing, one of the biggest things, actually, that I don't think people give nearly enough thought towards is your health care. And that's why I want to tell you guys about our other sponsor, which is CrowdHealth. Open enrollment is just around the corner. And that means that now is the time to take charge of your healthcare decisions. I think it's November, the full month there, you're able to do it. So make sure you take advantage while you can do so without any fees or cancellations and things like that. We all know that the system's not working, but thanks to CrowdHealth, you can do something about it. CrowdHealth puts your healthcare back into your hands. It cuts out the middlemen, saves you money, and funds your healthcare costs without relying on big government or big insurance companies. Let's be honest. The insurance model is totally broken. So I think it's worth considering some alternatives. CrowdHealth has a better way to fund your healthcare costs. You can see any doctor you want, no deductibles, exclusions, or copays. Only pay the first $500 of any healthcare event. The CrowdHealth community takes care of the rest. No exclusive doctor networks, no huge premiums or high deductibles, and no surprises. You pay one low monthly total to fund your account. It's awesome. I just had the owner on on my episode last week. It's the last 20 minutes or so of that episode. If you want to hear the ins and outs of how it works, I think you'll find it highly informative and informational and uh, hopefully enlightening enough that you might want to give it a shot. Take charge of your healthcare today with CrowdHealth. Open enrollment is the only time you can hit eject on the broken system without penalty. So don't wait. And for a limited time, 
Join for just $99 per month for your first six months when you use promo code LOCKDOWN at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com, promo code LOCKDOWN. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. Where misinformation is rightfully censored. And I don't think that's rightful. Like, even if it's wrong, that's not my preference for how to live. And I question any libertarian who feels like that is a preferable way to live. And I'm not trying to like question his bona fides per se, but more like just implore him to reconsider this. Like, is that really what you want? Do you want every political commentator to fear massive civil lawsuits because they're talking about someone and they get something wrong? Because I think the, the, I personally believe that the majority of people in our arena, I'm not saying every political pundit, don't get, don't get it twisted. I think many of them lie intentionally on the regular. Um, but I think most of the people that I know in this are trying to tell the truth, trying very hard. And it just seems like a terrible idea to have them constantly concerned about, well, is this accurate? Like I, Perfect example. I remember I used to listen to, I listened to Joe Rogan back in like 2010, 11, when he used to have on Eddie Bravo and Sam Tripoli and Brian Redband, and they just get high as a kite and they would just talk shit. They talk about conspiracy, conspiracy theory stuff and, you know, whether or not the moon was real, whether or not we landed on it. Like they were just freeballing, totally freewheeling, got a ton of stuff wrong. Probably 90% of what they were talking about was dead ass wrong, but it was entertaining. And I didn't take it as like the gospel by any stretch. It was just fun to listen to. And I prefer that. I prefer to let the audience decide. Like, even if I'm trying to tell the truth, which I always am, unless I'm, you know, in some sort of comedy venue, I still think that like, I trust my audience to, to hear what I think and then weigh that against their own experiences and the own information that they have. Like, for instance, they can be listening to this right now and say, I don't agree with Clint. I think Alex Jones did get what he deserved. I think that you're fucking crazy <laughs> and totally nuts and totally wrong that a billion dollar judgment for saying anything is what someone deserves. I think that's lunacy. But I do believe that you have the ability to like think for yourself and be wrong too. <laughs> I mean... I think that's another aspect of this is, uh, that I'm stunned Mr. Hornberger didn't bring up. He says, Alex Jones got what he deserved. Okay. You believe, consider for a second that like, maybe Alex Jones lied about his income, right? Because he said he was worth like less than, I think it was $5 million total in assets. Say he was lying. Say he's worth $100 million. I don't think anyone would argue Alex Jones is worth more than $100 million after all the years of, you know, funding the operation and advertising and things like that and being you know, chased to the end of the earth by the media and I'm sure being sued numerous times in the past. I can't imagine that he's worth more than that. But say he's worth $100 million. Did he deserve to get a judgment levied against him that is 10x his net worth? Or is that not quite, quite clearly a political shot across the bow against people who talk about unpopular things. I would argue it's the latter. 
Because if they were just trying to be, I mean, it's so performative in nature. Like you're trying to demonstrate, like you have such disdain for this human being and what he represents that you want to make an example of him. And good God, did they ever. But I don't, I don't read the government or a government official and a judge making an example of someone, especially when he's in an industry that I'm in and go like, hooray, <laughs> right? Like, and as a fan of podcasts, which obviously everyone listening is, I can't imagine that you guys are responding going, hooray, all of the podcasts I listen to are going to be walking on eggshells forevermore because they will never have any clue what they're allowed to say without potentially running afoul of some sort of massive civil judgment. Right? Are you pumped about that? Because I remember, so the reason I brought up Joe Rogan earlier is the first 10 years of the Joe Rogan experience, he's just talking shit, just off, off the top of the dome, crazy. And then he gets to be the biggest podcast in the world. And suddenly he starts to get pressured with disinformation. Ring a bell? Saying that he's spreading disinformation. And this was during the early, early stages of the COVID era where they were questioning his opinions on this stuff and saying, you're killing people. Sure. Okay. The young, healthy audience that listens to Joe Rogan, the MMA guys definitely dropping dead because they didn't wear a mask. Anyways, moving on. Do you remember how much worse his show got when he had Jamie fact-checking mid-show? Like, maybe you're the type of person that prefers that. Maybe you would never have someone tell you an opinion that turns out to be wrong. I don't like that. I like to live with a little bit of like, I want to know what someone really thinks. Like, this is, a, we're talking opinions here. We're not talking like a fact show. Like, I want to hear someone freestyle. I want to hear where how their brain works. Because when you're allowed to just speak freely, which I'm doing all the time, you get to see how my mind works. And I think that tells the audience more about who you are. Whereas if it's just strictly based off of like, well, I read this and this guy said that and this is the facts and okay, go read a fucking encyclopedia, man. Like That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to hear your opinion. And I'm here to hear your opinion when it's good and when it's bad. Sure, I tend to listen to shows where I think that the opinion is more often good than bad, but I don't want to hear just like, not just the facts, but rather the state-sanctioned approved narrative facts. I can tune on, I can turn on the fucking news for that. And that hasn't demonstrated itself to be very accurate in its own right. So I'll take accidental misinformation over intentional misinformation all day, every day. Just my two cents. I don't want to live in a world like that. I don't want to live in a world where everybody is suing everybody because they said something wrong on a podcast or elsewhere. It seems like a shitty, awful way to live. And I hope as the Mises caucus endorsed candidate for the Libertarian Party presidential nomination, you will reconsider Mr. Hornberger. And once again, I invite you to come on the show to argue this with me if you'd like, or just have a conversation about it. Cause I think that it is misguided and short-sighted 
and I, I tend to notice that the people that don't like Alex Jones have come to this conclusion really aggressively. And I find that interesting. And the reason I know I'm not being biased here, even though I've already told you I do have a bias for Alex Jones, the reason I know I'm not being biased here is because I haven't called for you know, the imprisonment and huge judgments against, say, Rachel Maddow, who lied egregiously for years about Russian collusion and mandates and lockdowns and everything in between. I don't have any problem with that. I don't want to see speech curtailed in this country. I thought this was like, at least amongst the libertarians, a pretty universally held belief that it is better to allow us to talk even, even if the person is intentionally lying to their audience. I still don't want them bankrupted or imprisoned. Now, I'd be okay with them being shown to their audience that, hey, this person is a known intentional liar. And as someone who's representing yourself as a news source, you probably shouldn't be listening to them anymore. You know, an expose in that fashion totally makes sense to me. And then let the market decide. Let CNN fire her ass or MSNBC, I think she's on. Um, but I don't think there's any reason for judgments, lawsuits. Really? That's the world you want, brother? Mm -mm. No, <laughs> not for me. Thank you, though. Oh, and I didn't even mention that we now have basically suppression of political dissidents via unbanking and shutting down, you know, lines of credit. There are, there are a litany of examples where people's opinions are being used to dramatically, dramatically, almost, almost unperson them. And this is essentially what happens under the Chinese social credit score system. And if you're not a fan of that, I don't understand why every step of the way you aren't in staunch opposition to every mechanism that allows that process to come to fruition. It seems like such an obvious thing to me that anything that gets us closer to people not wanting to speak their mind is ultimately why we're in this disastrous position to begin with. If we had had an ethos of speaking our mind early on during COVID, for instance, I don't think we go down the same path that we did because I know a ton of people that, I mean, listeners to my show, as well as friends and family that were basically cowed into silence because they believe that their job was on the line or their social acceptance was on the line. There is a, a growing perception, real or imagined. I think it's real, but regardless, there's this growing perception that if you have the wrong opinion on a handful of big agenda items, usually supported by the government, coincidentally, that you can lose all of your friends and family and your job and your income and your source of banking, your lines of credit, potentially your admittance to college. You've seen social media posts that have got kids, you know, scholarships removed or their tuition or their acceptance into college taken away. There's a lot of examples, man, 
there's so many examples of free speech, you know, your opinion being used to more or less end your life. Now, not like take your actual physical corporeal being and end it, but like really mess your life up badly. And I don't like it. I don't like the tra the trajectory of things. I think it's very, very dangerous. I think it's very counter to the reason we value free speech in the first place. There's so many, there's so many goods, good things that come from people being willing to speak their mind to protest, for instance, to protest World War III, for instance. You have now people that are talking about the counter argument to the Russia and Ukraine situation being labeled on social media as Russian affiliated media. There's a little stamp there that says it. They think that they're helping, I guess. I think that the more nefarious actors know exactly what they're doing. They are trying to poison the well so that you won't trust anything that goes against the U.S. government's narrative on probably the most important topic in my lifetime, which is whether or not we end up going to World War III and ultimately nuclear war. All of this leads down a path to hell. I don't think I'm overstating it. <laughs> I think that we are... It could be argued that we're already in hell because we've allowed this to go too far as it is. I haven't even mentioned, you know, the the trucker convoy, the freedom convoy in Canada and Ottawa specifically, which I had a few times. I had one of the uh, like the front guys, one of the front dudes sitting on the truck line that uh, that I spoke to at length about what they were doing there and their beliefs. And these guys sounded just as red, white and blue American ethos as you could imagine not domestic terrorists, not bad people. And they had their accounts shut down. I don't know if he did, but I know many people did. Many of the leadership did for sure. You also have kind of a Gestapo style approach to the persecution and now prosecution of the January 6th protesters, which many of them were peaceful. That's not a good precedent. I don't care if you think that they were wrong. Do you want peaceful people that hold beliefs that you don't share to be put in prison essentially indefinitely? Many of them in solitary confinement. Many of them waiting over a year for a trial. Whether you like them or not, whatever can be done to your political opponent can be done to you. To me, the answer is a clear no. This is why I speak out on the behalf of these people. I don't know any of them, but I, th I still know what I know wrong when I see it. That is not the American way, at least not the America that I believed in. So every step of the way, I'm going to oppose this and I'm going to make it vocally known. I don't like the trend. I don't like the type of atmosphere that creates in the world that I want to live in. This is not the world I want to live in. I'm going to continue to speak into existence the world I would like to see, the freedoms I would like to have, the freedoms that I believe create the best foundational guideposts to civilization. Free speech is very high on that list. And I think that the case against Kanye West or Alex Jones or any, any of these people 
regardless of what they say, you should be very cautious before giving your support in any form or fashion to the persecution or prosecution of these people. It is coming for all of us. It's crystal fucking clear. Think about it. And I nearly forgot to mention probably the most extreme example of the suppression of free speech or free press in particular would be Julian Assange or Edward Snowden to, I guess, a lesser extent. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it's a I think it, there's a real question to be had if free speech isn't not just under attack, but maybe dead. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, every step of the way, I'm going to I'm going to oppose it. I think that that's the only principled stance to take is that like when something that you value so deeply and it's ultimately, you know, a right that the government is supposed to defend, not offend, uh, it's very concerning. And then I didn't also mention cancel culture, which makes it extremely hard for people to speak their mind, to just tell the truth about how they see the world, political correctness, all this nonsense. It's all so dangerous and I hope that that's becoming more clear to people as time starts to drag on and we start to realize all of the negative effects of that, which is why I was so glad to go to Skankfest because I finally got to be around my people, you know, just a couple thousand people or a couple thousands of people that really deeply understand that, uh, I don't know, life is just better when you push the envelope and you're telling the truth or at least trying to. And if you want to help in telling the truth, you can do so. And that's why today I want to tell you about one of our sponsors and an opportunity to jump headfirst into the liberty movement and make a real impact. Young Americans for Liberty is currently recruiting campaign field staff to help elect pro-liberty candidates across the country. These hardcore candidates are dedicated to fighting for federal gun nullification, defend the guard, and criminal justice reform, and many other hardcore liberty policies. If you are ready to be a part of the fight, stand against the establishment, and make a real change in 2022, you can join one of these campaigns from now through November 8th. So just two weeks, give or take away. Gas is completely covered. Housing is fully provided. And you will be compensated a total of $2,800 a month for your work on the campaign trail. Only got two weeks left to go do this. So make sure if you're interested, you do it right now. Go to yaliberty.org forward slash Liberty Lock Pod to apply and make a real change in this country today. Again, that's yaliberty.org forward slash Liberty Lock Pod. The link will be in the description, so you don't have to memorize it. You can click it right there. Get involved. Got one more mini rant for you before we get out of here. Uh, David Frum. <laughs> Neocon cuck extraordinaire. Absolutely despise this dude. He tweeted out in regards to, you know, maybe you guys haven't heard. So Elon Musk contributed Starlink, which is this satellite-based internet system, to the Ukrainian government, which ultimately was for their people and for their military, I'm sure. and. He did it, in my opinion, out of the goodness, out of the kindness of his own heart, that he was trying to provide internet to people that were being invaded. Like, I think my honest opinion is that Elon doesn't have the, the deepest possible understanding of everything that's going on there. But from a very surface level view, I think it's very easy for the average person who's not, you know, immersed in geopolitical shit to conclude, okay, these people are being invaded, their lives are being obviously either endangered or at, the, at a minimum thrown into terrible tumult and turmoil 
And he said, hey, I'm going to make sure that they have functioning internet. Turns out about a week later, he puts out a post saying, here are some ideas I have on how a peace might be established between the Russians and Ukrainians. This proposal's okay. I didn't think it was anything, you know, offensive or anything like that. But the Ukrainians automatically come out and just blast him. Say, fuck Elon Musk and all sorts of craziness. They have a mural that they had put up for him. They immediately tear it down. <laughs> it's all so insane. So my favorite neocon, David Frum, writes yesterday, it was always unreasonable and is becoming unwise to expect Elon Musk to provide internet to Ukraine for free forever. Well, isn't that kind? I actually agree with David on that. It was unreasonable to expect that. But then he goes completely batshit insane. Says, Western allies should pay. And U.S. should have a plan ready to nationalize Starlink fast if Musk cuts off Ukraine's connection to advance his political agenda. Now, if you know anything about the history of neoconservatism, uh, you could listen to uh, Scott Horton, Dave Smith covered this as well. You should know the Trotskyite rule, uh, you know, thought similarities that kind of form the foundational I ideals of neoconservatism. But this, I, people always get mad when I say this is communism. It, you can call it fascism. You can call it totalitarianism. Whatever you want to call it. I don't give a shit. Not the point. Point is, David Frum, neoconservative, a conservative, mind you, a conservative, one that believes in private property rights and wants to maintain that, correct? No, 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 no. He wants to nationalize Starlink. So check this out. You have Elon Musk charitably. I mean, sure, maybe he had some ulterior motives. I don't know. Maybe he was he put it over there and he expected to then turn around and be able to charge the government billions of dollars to keep it functioning. And he was going to profit off at the end of the day. I know there's a lot of people out there that hate Elon and they think everything he does is the worst thing imaginable. I don't fucking know. Okay. I'm not trying to I'm not here to argue that. But what I think is interesting is that, you know, from is arguing that an American entrepreneur, I mean, an American company, obviously he's South African, but an American company, because Tesla is an American company, it's publicly traded in America, one of the highest uh, stock values in the world, as far as I know, he wants to have, well, I guess Starlink wouldn't be part of Tesla, but anyways, I'm, I'm getting distracted here. It's a big company, right? So he wants to have that nationalized for a war that hasn't been declared, that America is allegedly not involved in at all, right? And he wants to have an American company nationalized to maintain the internet services for some war 6,000 miles away? Do you understand how like completely lacking in principles the neoconservatives are? Well, I shouldn't say that completely lacking in American principles or principles that align at all with freedom and liberty. It's really fucking crazy, right? So Elon didn't have to do that at all. Like imagine had he not done that. And David from little fucking shit gremlin that he is just starts typing out. I would like to see Joe Biden nationalize Starlink and then provide free internet services to Ukraine. You'd be like, oh, this is fucking insane. Well, is it any more insane that he's saying it after Elon voluntarily gave them 
you know, a couple hundred million probably in equipment? No, it might even be more insane. So you, all right. But the reason I wanted to bring this up other than to demonstrate that neoconservatives are the worst people on earth is because I just want people to, I want like any entrepreneurs out there that are listening, like be very, very careful before you go along with the, what I describe as the church of woke. Like, I know it's weird to think of David Frum as a member of the church of woke, but the cathedral, whatever you want to call it. I think that these people like they align so much, like they, they give you surface level disagreements and arguments, but at the end of the day, like, the neoconservatives, the neoliberals, they align in very surprising and dramatic ways. It's like, what matters to them? Democracy above everything. They completely agree that January 6th people should be thrown away, lock them up, throw away the key, trial be damned, who gives a shit? They believe that defending Ukraine, highest level of importance. More important than our, our oil reserves domestically or inflation domestically. These people align on a, an awful lot. So you, you might start to wonder if the prefix, when it goes neoliberal, neoconservative, if the prefix is the thing that really matters. Because I'm not so sure the liberal or the conservative matters anymore. I think the neo part is what really, really that's the the tie that binds because they come together on not just the biggest things, but the worst things. They are in complete alignment. And I just wanted to point that out. And I wanted to make sure that you guys realize that if you go along with them at all, they will treat you worse than if you never have. Consider it. He, he was obviously getting dragged for wanting to buy Twitter. But he didn't get the full wrath brought down upon him until he gave the Starlink service over there. And then he said, hey, guys, what do you think about, like, I don't know, maybe not killing each other forever? And they're like, you fucking un-American bitch. I'm going to steal your property from you. <laughs> That's quite a shift. I mean, when he was talking about buying uh, Twitter, they would definitely say, like, oh, he's got racist hiring practices and he said a racial slur at work and blah 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 he probably loves trump you know they would say bad things about him but it wasn't like crazy but as soon as you have thrown your hat into the neoliberal neoconservative world and and signaled any level of support for their their uh their key goals you are automatically like fair game so don't do it don't do it. Okay? I'm making this real clear. Don't do it. Do not go along with them. And unfortunately, they incentivize you to do so. Oftentimes, they hit you with like during periods of peak confusion and uncertainty, like early stage COVID or even mid-stage COVID or early stage vax rollout where you don't really know much about it. And they go, hey, you care about, you know, the world, right? You're going to mandate this stuff, right? Yeah. Well, in hindsight, that doesn't look like such a good idea, does it? And I think that in hindsight, Elon is definitely regretting having, having given Starlink internet service for free to them. 
especially when he realized that peace was not on the horizon, but in fact, a mushroom cloud may be. He didn't like that, and I don't blame him. And this is why I tend to think that Elon isn't such a bad guy, because I think he was trying to do the right thing. He then realized that there was no peace to be had, and he said, okay, well, then I'm not going to continue to give you guys internet forever, because I'm not going to be a participant in the escalation towards fucking nuclear war. And they're like, hey, how about this? We'll nationalize your businesses. How about that? You like that? These people are dangerous, man. These people are fucking dangerous. And they don't think of your liberties or your rights or anything like that. I mean, think about the David, like the neoconservative vantage point right after 9-11. There was no infringement on rights that a Muslim person should not suffer. And look at the neoliberal people after, say, January 6th, or even just after Trump's election, for that matter, who were like, automatically, you're a lesser. You're a second class. If we're being gracious, you're a second class citizen. That's really their perspective. Like if, they're, if they're having a good day, they think of you as a second class citizen. Otherwise, they just think of you as like some subhuman animal especially when it came to the vaccine mandates. Ooh, good God, did that make it clear, huh? Now, if you oppose the war, you're not an American. You love Putin. You're pushing Russian propaganda. Even though these people are all pushing propaganda, every single one of them. So keep your eyes out. Pay attention to what these people are doing. They're dangerous as hell. And they ain't going to stop. So it's important for those that are thinking rationally to start to have open and honest dialogues and discussions about all this stuff. And this going full circle is why free speech is so fucking important. And you should be very cautious before you throw your verbal or physical or financial support behind the prosecution or persecution of commentators who say unpopular things. And that includes Kanye West saying some anti-Semitic shit. Sorry, just being honest. You don't have to agree with him to believe that he shouldn't be losing hundreds of millions of dollars. Okay? You don't have to agree with him to think that J.P. Morgan Chase closing down one of his accounts isn't an acceptable business practice and that you should oppose it very, very loudly. You don't have to agree with him. Okay? I just want to be very clear. A lot of people think that you can only... Defend speech you agree with. And last I checked, that speech doesn't need defense now, does it? Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I did the AMA tonight. Almost no one showed up because I didn't give you any notice. <laughs> Oops. Uh, it's over on Locals. So libertylockdown.locals.com. If enough people you know, message me saying, hey, I missed it, and I'd like to have you do it again sooner than a month from now, I'd be happy to do so. It's no big deal. I'm back in town. I did want to tell you guys a little bit about uh, Skank Fest in Vegas. <clears throat> Incredible. So cool. So it's a three and a half day event. I get there Thursday night. I'm too tired or it's too late to really do anything. But by Friday, I roll out. It's in downtown Vegas, which is a shithole, but it's like kind of an experience and cool as hell in its own right. Just like walking through this strip with all these like mongoloided motherfuckers that are look homeless in ways that you didn't know was possible. <laughs> But the, the homeless people are like doing like parlor tricks and shit. So you feel like better about them in some way. But like they're arguably 
more deformed than like sideshow circus freaks, which kind of is also cool. I don't know. It's an experience. Um, I get to the event and thousands of people are there and there's like, I think there was like a hundred stand-up comics. I don't know. There was a ton, ton of like almost all the comics that I love were there. <clears throat> really, really cool experience. Um, I did not expect this. I did not expect to have the crossover of Liberty Lockdown fans and like the Legion world that exists. Like I, obviously I know a lot of people that are Legion of Skanks fans and comedy fans listen to Legion of Skanks. And I'm sure some of them also have transitioned into listening to part of the problem, but I didn't realize that the transfer over into Liberty Lockdown land would have been as significant as it was. I, I no bullshit. I probably had 75, <clears throat> maybe a hundred uh, different people come up to me over the three days I was there, take pictures or just chop it up for a minute. Really cool to meet all those people, especially when you realize like these people are liberty minded, but they're also comedy fans and they're like aggressive comedy fans. So like, they're just my people. So instant kinship, <clears throat> absolutely loved uh, meeting each and every one of you. If you're listening now, I'm sorry, I can't remember everyone's name. I probably can't remember anyone's name to be honest, because I met so many people. Uh, by the way, I'm very hurting <laughs> after three days of being in Vegas. So uh, if I didn't have high energy, now you know why. And I apologize. Um, but here's the coolest story, right? So day three. So it's Saturday. By the way, I'm kicking with Robbie the Fire the whole time. I get to meet like all these guys that I've had on the show. Um, I hang out and, and chat with uh, Sam Tripoli for like 10 minutes. Finally got to meet him in person. I, I talked to him on his show and mine. and Or no, he has never been on mine, actually, now that I think about it. But I've talked to him on shows multiple times. Uh, and I had never met him, so that was great. Very, very cool, down-to-earth dude. And uh, Robbie the Fire is just introducing me to like comics left and right. And uh, probably the one I was most excited to get to know that I really didn't know much about other than he does incredible YouTube uh, like shorts is Ryan Long. He's a Canadian comic who has done like incredible, incredible pieces on wokeness versus like, if you remember the wokeness versus Nazis, like <laughs> which, <laughs> like where do they disagree essentially? And you're like, fuck, they don't disagree at all. Um, he's just an, an amazing political commentator and comedian and his, the fusion that he does is really, really special. So, to get to meet him and realize like he's just a fucking great guy was really cool. Um, he will be coming on the show. Uh, at least he said he's willing. So I think we're going to set that up. Uh, he and I chatted up for like a half an hour and just a great guy, great guy. And he was also on part of the problem, which will be, which I was there for the live recording, but it should be out in a couple of days. So you guys can check that out. And he is as quick on his feet, especially in a, like a political lane as probably anyone I've ever seen. Like really, really brilliant stuff. You guys are going to love that. So anyways, great to meet you, Ryan. I'm thrilled to have you on. Uh, who else? All right. So this is where the story gets wild. So there was a four or five hour line for the Big J Okerson special, live special recording that was happening at Skankfist on Saturday. And when I heard that the line was crazy and people had been up since like 10 a.m. and the special was getting recorded at two or three, I was like, I'm not going to wait in that line. Like, I'll watch it when it's on Netflix or whatever it's coming out. I'm definitely not going to wait in line for that long. That's insane. Um, but I go into like the bigger theater. By the way, there's like fucking seven different theaters. It's so cool. Um, and I watch and Dave's on stage and he's doing a, a you know, a stand-up set. 
and I had no idea that he was going to be on. So I, I watched the end of it and he hops off stage and I'm like walking into the next room and I just like give him a fist pound. He's like, Clint, what are you doing next? And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm just here. I'm just living my life. And he's like, follow me. So he, uh, I, you know, I coat coattail ride like a good old podcaster <laughs> and, and he, and he takes me into the, the, uh, backstage entrance to the live recording of big J special. And we stand in the back for like five minutes and I'm all hung over cause I don't drink anymore. And I don't know how to like, even though I only had like three or four drinks the first night, I still felt like shit on Saturday. So, uh, I say, Hey man, is there somewhere I could sit? Cause like, I don't think I can handle standing for the entire hour of the special. And he goes, yeah, dude, the green room's right over here. Let's, let's go back there and chill. And we walk in there and I shit you not like I'm the only non-comic in there. And as I, as I pan around, I'm like, I died. This is heaven. <laughs> For those that don't know, I'm a huge stand-up fan. Like, huge, 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 huge stand-up fan. I've been a huge stand-up fan forever. And I'm looking around, and it goes like this. Dave Attell. That's the first guy I see. And I'm like, oh, like the greatest living stand-up alive right there. Dave Attell. Okay, cool. And Dave Smith is just being super fucking cool for me. He's like, hey. Dave, have you met my friend Clint? And I get to shake his hand. I chatted up for like 10 seconds. Um, and then we migrate through and it's like, oh, there's Ari Shafir. Ari Shafir. And then over at the bar, like ranting about some conspiracy shit. Guess who? Tim Dillon. Tim Dillon's just like letting loose. And I'm like, oh my God. I can tell right away Ari Shafir does not want me to talk to him. So I just keep moving. <laughs> He's like, I have no interest in talking to you, you fucking nobody. I'm like, hey, I get it. Um, and I go and I sit back in the back booth and I'm like, I'm just going to try and like pretend as if I'm not there. And hopefully no one notices that I'm not a comic and kicks me out. Even though I know I'm with Dave and I'm not going to get kicked out. But I'm just trying to be like, I'm trying to play it cool. <clears throat> and who is it? Oh, Mr. Billions himself. Dan Soder, who's also a great comic, sits down to my left and I'm wearing a Padres hat. And he starts talking about the Niners. And I'm like... Hey man, you think my my Padres got a chance to win against the Dodgers tonight? And he's like, I don't know, man. I think you guys might. I think you guys, might. which by the way, we did. Woo! Hopefully, going to the World Series. We'll see. Um, and I just chop it up with Dan Soder for like thirty minutes about the NFL. Apparently, his high school friend is now the head coach of the the Dolphins, and we're just talking about sports. Such a guy's guy. Such a totally normal human being. Um, there was like three other comics in there, and I'm totally blanking on who they are right now. Suffice it to say, oh, Louis, Louis J. Gomez is in there, and we just sit there. Uh, me, Dave and I obviously end up talking for like a half an hour about shit I won't talk about on air. Um, love Dave, he's just the best. And then, as soon as the special, and by the way, there's a monitor so we can still like see and hear uh, Jay as he's recording his specials. So, like, we're going in between conversations, we're listening to them, uh, listening to Jay record his, his special, like this very expensive endeavor. I'm like watching it from behind the scenes with all of my heroes in comedy. It's just such a cool experience. And I know this probably sounds like I'm bragging, but I just need to tell you guys. I just it's such a cool thing for me, okay? It was so fun. <laughs> it was so fun. It really I like I, I joked on Twitter. I was like, this is like, you know, 72 Virgin Quran type shit. Like you just you can't believe it's real. That's how it felt to me. I was like, this is just so fucking awesome. So I uh I just wanted to you know, let you guys know. Dreams do come true. My make-a-wish has come true. Now I have to go to the 
oncologist and see about what cancer I obviously have because there's no reason that anyone should be blessed with such a cool ass experience. <laughs> I really, really loved it. Um, so I just wanted to give my heartfelt thanks to Dave Smith for giving me that opportunity. Um, Andy, I think it is Malafarina, hung out with him a lot. Another great comic. Uh, just so many great comics. BK Chris, like all these guys are just so cool. And now because I I, I get, you know, I I speak at these uh, libertarian events and oftentimes these these comics will be doing the circuit kind of along with me. Um, I'm actually like growing real relationships with them. Like I think Robbie and I would genuinely consider each other to be friends now. And obviously Dave and I too and a bunch of these guys. And it's just like, just weird. My life is just changing in ways that I, I never would have imagined ranting into a microphone about how insane lockdowns were would have uh, changed my life in this fashion. So I don't know. I guess I'm just saying when you pursue your passions, some really beautiful things come of it and you don't know what it, it'll be. So maybe do it. That's all. <sighs> I love you guys. Thank you for making my dreams come true from the bottom of my heart. You have changed my life for the better. And I just wanted to thank you once again. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, if you want to share the show, do that. If you don't, I love you anyways. See you soon. As always, I want to thank you guys for leaving five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. I know you guys leave reviews on Spotify and elsewhere, but I don't get a report on those. So I apologize if you wrote something up. I don't see those. But if you guys go over to Apple Podcasts and you leave a five-star review there, you can include whatever you want. As long as it's a five-star review, you can include whatever you want in the in the readout, and I will read it on air so that hopefully, if you have social media or whatever, you can get hooked up a little bit. Uh, everybody likes to get a little scratch your back, I scratch your nose type deal. N3, N1, P13 says, straight talk for the liberty-minded. Listen to Clint and his fantastic interviews for a deep, thoughtful, and easy-to-grasp look into current events, how they have come to be, and how they affect our economy. Hey, that rhymed. Good job our lives and our liberties. Five stars. Thank you, brother. Uh, Temud Jin from ATL. ATL, A-Town up, or whatever they say. Liberty Lockdown is super underrated. The best breakdown of the economic financial issues related to the average man with understandable language. Well, thank you. I do try to make it understandable. And if it's uh, the best breakdown, all the better. Appreciate you. Uh, five stars north of the notches says, keep the rants coming. Thank you, Clint, for passionate and knowledgeable rants. Keep them coming. I can't help myself, man. This is this is my therapy. You guys get to listen to my therapy. <laughs> you guys should, I should be paying you $100 an hour, whatever therapists charge these days. I'm sure it's astronomical. Anyways, uh, so yeah, if you want me to do that for you, all you have to do is go leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We're out. Oh, I forgot to mention before I get out of here, just two quick notes. Michael Rechtenwald, great analysis on ESG and all sorts of stuff. So can't wait to have him on. That'll be tomorrow. And then on Monday at long last, the man from my introduction music is finally blessing me with an appearance. The great Tom Woods. First time. Can't believe it's finally happening. So that'll be Monday. And then later that week, I believe it'll be Thursday. It'll be Dr. Joseph Ladapo, the Surgeon General of Florida. So three bangers coming. Hide your wife, hide your kids. Tell your friends. We're out. <music>
Welcome to Liberty Lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweet from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus is scared of Will come and it'll go The government knows Just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane You're probably wondering What's happening Scared Hollywood Lefties lyrical feminine A typo in Luke Might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit Didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot But now I'm the shit Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky smooth time was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip for 59 Monster ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this don't get treated like a hoe